Good evening. I'm your host, Greta McKenna Gibson, and welcome Under the Table. Tonight we bring you a story of change, where we learn that children often know best, there's always time left to grow, and maybe the grass is greener on the other side of the fence because you put a fence there and called your neighbors horrible. I invite you now to imagine dry landscape, hot, unforgiving wind. The desert, a vast wasteland that will turn you to a raisin. Heat waves warp the horizon. Thankfully, in this godforsaken land, there is a dusty plastic jug of water. A delicate hand picks it up. Sue O'Connor, a white ten-year-old, hair in a relaxed ponytail, wisps flying in the wind. Dad, found some. A stocky man in camouflage ambles up. Rick O'Connor, late thirties, skin as weathered as his leather vest, unsheaths his buck knife, offering the handle to his daughter. You know the protocol. Sue slashes the bottom of the jug, draining water into the sand. And why the bottom? So it's unusable. Rick roughs her hair, sheaths his knife, and adjusts the AR-15 on his shoulder. <laughs> Very good, Cricket. Move out. Sue follows her father, emblazoned on the back of his vest, Freedom Defenders. They join the rest of the Freedom Defenders, a dozen men and women combing the desert beside a high, never-ending steel fence. Sue gazes past the fence, curiously, searching the alien horizon on the other side. What's over there, Dad? Somewhere you don't want to go. Texas Supermarket. It eclipses the sun, casting its shadow over the strip mall's parking lot. Rick carries groceries to their rust bucket Ford. Sue beside him, flipping through a travel magazine. She stops on a splash page of white sand, beaches, horseshoeing a turquoise bay. She's in love. Is that where you're going to take us one day? Sue points to a bungalow. We're going to live right there. <laughs> you will, and you'll realize nowhere else can compete with El Paso. Got everything we need. Sue frowns. Rick drops their groceries in the pickup, then spots a cluster of men. Hispanic day laborers loitering outside Home Depot. You see them, Cricket? They're why Uncle Greg lost his business. Rick dials his phone, keeping an eye on the men. You see any, you tell me, and we'll report them. Better safe than sorry. Sue's room. Synthetic 70s wood paneling circles the room. Pencil crayon drawings paper the walls, and a collage of globe-trotting destinations are taped above her bed. Sue lays back, hands above her head, feet on her pillow, gazing at the tropical collage, brimming with wanderlust, losing herself in serene blue oceans, white coral beaches. Sand blows away, revealing a buried rusty sign for USAF testing area. Freedom defenders step over the sign, spread out across the desert on their patrol. Sue lags behind, sunbaked and tired, 
coming upon the skeleton of a utility shed. Junk remains from its previous inhabitants. Sue rests on a set of overturned shelves, appreciating the cool compassion of shade. Scanning the decrepit structure, coming upon a curiosity nearly drowned in sand. A steel case. Weathered over decades, a peeling label reads, Classified. Prototype. Sue kneels before the case, pulling it from its grave, struggling with its immense weight. She pops its clasps. With a big shove, she breaks the crud of the hinges. Creaking it open, Sue inhales sharply. Set in velvet lining, a jetpack. The steel case slams into the pickup. Sue glances to the dunes, where freedom defenders are trickling back, Rick amongst them. Sue covers the case with a spare blanket, hiding it. The evening sky, minutes after the sun has set, the O'Connor's ranch home is isolated in the desert, neighbored only by sand, rocks, and shrubs. Sue rests her chin on her bedroom window, looking out at the border fence, a mile or two away on the horizon. Hey, you know the drill. Rick leans in the doorway. Sue leaps under her covers. Work called, so you'll have to let yourself in after school. Got your key? Uh-huh. Cookie dough doesn't cut it as dinner. The pantry's stocked, so make some craft dinner, right? I know. Want me to read to you? No. Love you. Love you, too. He shuts off the light. Bright day. The school bus journeying towards Sue, waiting by the post box at the end of their driveway. Rick salutes her goodbye from his truck before pulling onto the main road. Sue's sneakers beat the dirt as she runs back to the house, on fire with excitement, her knapsack bouncing on her back as she races around the house, skidding to a halt. Frantically tossing aside the crawl space cover, she reaches in and drags out the steel case. The jetpack sits upright on its exhaust port, sleek, aerodynamic, a retro array of dials and switches, as if ripped from the pages of science fiction quarterly. Sue flips through the manual, seeing only walls of text without visual aids. She tosses the booklet aside and heaves the jetpack on her back, nearly toppling over under its weight. She adjusts the straps to their smallest and grips the hand controls, which dangle haphazardly by a mess of wires. Sue flicks the power switch on. The jetpack goes from one to a hundred, rocketing her into the air. Sue, too scared to think, kills the power, plummeting into lawn furniture, turning it to toothpicks. Seconds later, she's back up, wearing pads and a Dallas Cowboys football helmet. Couch cushions spread out as a crash pad. Sue readies for the brute force of takeoff. She blasts into the sky, up and up, squealing, eyes clamped shut till she's about to be sick. Sue opens her eyes, tears running down her face from the wind, and does the one thing any pilot would advise against. She looks down. Her house, neighborhood, school bus, and El Paso, the size of ants. Sue surprisingly stops screaming, gaining her breath, beaming. Oh boy.
Kraft dinner bubbles on the stove, where Sue buzzes, unable to control her excitement. Rick, slick with grime from a long day, comes in from outside, stripping off his high-visibility gear. You're eating now? Had homework. Rick takes a Coke from the fridge. Actually, something happened today. At school? He turns to Sue, becoming incredulous at her scraped knees. Cricket, what happened? Nothing. Who did this? I fell. Rick grips her by the shoulders, looking into her eyes. Robin tripped me in P.E., but I made a touchdown. That's what I wanted to tell you. He relaxes. That's my girl. But I'll be having a word with Robin's father. No, Dad, please don't. Hey, that's final. I got this. Go wash up. Sue knows that's the end of it. She storms to her room, slamming the door, the jetpack displayed on her bed. Sue drags it off, stowing it far beneath her bed. She lays down, disappearing into her tropical collage. Oh, hell, my lawn chair! Sue bobs hundreds of feet in the sky, swaying in the wind. She's in the awe of the panorama, coming to the border and the desert landscape beyond. There's something she hadn't been able to see from the ground. Houses. A town. Sue directs her flight path for the border. Pretty soon, hovering high above the wall, Sue gazes at the world below, taking everything in. Jetpack sputters. She plunges. As the engine fails, she loses altitude, hurtling towards the ground, screaming for her life. Sue hammers the hand control, the ground on the other side of the wall growing closer. The jetpack gives one last blast, saving her from certain death, landing ass over tea kettle in a bush. Sue, scratched as a lotto, pulls off her helmet and unbuckles the pack, checking its fuel gauge, finding it on empty. Is that bien? Sue looks to see a boy, similar to her age, Mexican, in shorts and flip-flops, concerned. Sue stumbles back, falling on her butt, snatching up the jetpack. Te caiste desde ahí? Stay back. Are you okay? What is that? Mine! Don't come any closer. She threatens him with a rock. The boy grabs a rock in reaction. Te estás pasando. Sal de mi territorio. Speak American. Go! You're trespassing. Sue gets to her feet, wincing, keeping an eye on the boy. She straps on the jetpack and prepares to take off. Sucks here anyway. But the engine farts out of its last bit of fuel. <laughs> that wasn't me. With that, she walks off in the direction she came. The border fence is far higher now that Sue stands at its base. She peers at America on the other side, her house visible in the distance, but is unable to fit through the slats. Her fingers crossed, she attempts flight once again without any luck. The boy watches her from a rocky hill. Yo, what does it do? It's a jetpack. Que chido! If you try to take it, I'll tell my dad. Did it break when you crashed? Fuel's empty. You can't go home? I'll find a way in. The boy laughs, coming down the hill towards her. What gas does it take? Super secret military kind. You wouldn't know. The boy unscrews the fuel cap. A great sucking noise as the seal breaks. He sniffs, recognizing it. Come. The boy starts up the rocky hill. Sue hesitates, caught between wanting to go home 
and fear of the unknown. She takes off after him. My name's Hugo. Sue, where are we going? Palm trees sway in the breeze outside of a short house. Concrete walls painted vibrant blue, soccer net in the dirt yard located at the end of a rural street. Sue hides behind the brick fence, paranoid of her surroundings, eyes darting around the small neighborhood. Hugo pops over the fence, scaring Sue half to death. That's not funny. <laughs> Hold it steady. Sue straightens the jetpack, opening the fuel cap. Hugo unscrews a mason jar of clear liquid, holding it under Sue's nose. She reels back at the smell. Ew! What is that? My teal makes it. He empties the jar of moonshine into the fuel tank. Sue adjusts her helmet, jetpack on, turning to Hugo. Well, bye. You're welcome. You ain't all that bad. She turns to go, but stops, nervous. You want to hang out tomorrow? Sue lands hot, skidding on the dirt, gains her footing, beaming at Hugo, who juggles a soccer ball in his knee. Football? That's not football. Hugo passes her the ball. Sue lands every day, meeting Hugo, who's prepared new activities each time. Sand sprays as Sue touches down, Hugo clinging to her waist. Outside, her house. Hugo looks around. Wow, America. What's so great? Tropical collage on the wall. Sue points to a cutout of Greece. Hugo stands awkwardly in the middle of her room, not wanting to touch anything. I hate it here. One day, I'm going to live by the ocean. I'll live in all these places. Where are you going to live when you grow up? Um, I don't know. She hops off her bed, grabbing a stack of travel magazines. Well, pick one. More than one. Anywhere. Binoculars track Sue and Hugo whizzing through the sky, disappearing behind the wall, following their tracks back to the O'Connor house. A Hernandez family portrait hangs on the wall, a much younger Hugo with his parents and a young man in his late teens. Sue eyes the photo from the table while the Hernandez family says grace. Rosa, his mother, mid-thirties, face round and welcoming. Juan, his father, late forties, large calloused hands and complexion to match. Sue notices the young man is missing at dinner. Is he your brother? Yeah. Christian isn't with us anymore. Rosa looks up to the photo of her son. Juan squeezes her hand. What do you guys do? I'm a nurse, and Juan is a mechanic. Juan looks up, acknowledging her, though he doesn't speak English. And what do your parents do in town, Sue? In town? My dad makes roads. And your mom? She's dead, too. I am sorry for your loss. How? You don't ask that, Hugo. A car while crossing the street. My dad said it was an alien. Whoa, aliens? What do you mean by alien? Yeah, I don't remember, but dad's always trying to keep me safe now.
The sun bears down oppressively on sand dunes, grunting as a man struggles. Rick approaches, Sue running behind him to see a freedom defender, pinning a scrawny, dehydrated Mexican man to the sand. Looks like we got one. Call it in. Sue watches the man on the ground, confused. She tugs on her father's vest. Rick turns, exhilarated. Dad, why? He's just out here. Because he ain't allowed to be. But we're here. Like, he's not doing anything bad. He ain't us. He's already a criminal by crossing our line. What's he going to do next? And who are we if we're not defending our freedom? Sue shifts from the prone man back to her father. But... No buts, Cricket. Zip him and haul his ass back to base camp for ice. Sue watches as Rick helps drag the man away. Immigration and Customs Enforcement officers load the man into the back of a squad car. Rick finishes his interview with an officer, coming to rest on his truck's tailgate beside Sue, her eyes glued to her sneakers, lost in shock. Let's hear it. Sue doesn't respond. Okay, don't feel like Sharon. Fine. Want to tell me why you haven't been in school all week? I have been. Then why did I get a call today from Miss Dunham asking if she could expect you in class tomorrow? Or if you were still under the weather? She's lying. Why on earth would she do that? An FD member, late 50s, binoculars swinging around his neck, approaches. Rick, can I get a word? <sighs> sure, Don. And I expect a better answer when I come back. The FD member brings Rick out of earshot from the truck. Rick, this is going to sound batshit, but the other day I saw your girl. Sue watches the two men talking, periodically glancing her way. She feigns annoyance at a mosquito. Where is it? Sue, on the verge of tears, yet bluffing with fury, as Rick interrogates her in the living room. You're skipping school, lying, hiding stuff from me. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. What? I was respectful, and you lied the whole ride home. Don spotted you on his patrol. Now you have five seconds to come clean. Five. What did he see? If I say I sound ridiculous. Four. Sue just glares at him. Three. Two. You've got one second. Or what? You'll throw me in jail? That's it! Rick tears into Sue's room, searching the closet, her toy chest. Daddy, stop it! Rick isn't listening. He drops to the ground, peering beneath her bed. Sue stiffens. Under her bed, Rick shoves storage boxes aside, finding dust bunnies. No jetpack. Rick furiously turns to Sue. She's gone. The crawlspace cover is pulled away. Sue drags the jetpack out hurriedly, hearing thunderous stomps as her father charges through the house. She buckles herself in, foregoing her pads. She shoves the football helmet on. The back door is thrown open. Rick comes onto the porch, spotting Sue about to launch. He leaps over the railing at her. Sue! She abandons her helmet strap, leaving it unsecured, grabbing the hand controls. Don't you do it! But Sue does, blasting off. Rick grabs hold of his daughter, terror overcoming his anger. The two fly into the air, unbalanced from their configuration instead of a straight ascent. The rocket spirals chaotically, weighed down by Rick. 
Rick clutches his daughter for dear life, nearly being hurled off by momentum. Sue! Sue fights for control as they fly dangerously low, nearly grazing the rocky terrain, heading for the border fence. Sue momentarily gains enough control. The two arc over the fence, soaring freely into a cactus. They spin out of control. Rick clings to her, Sue's helmet flying off. Hugo spins toward the gut-wrenching sound, dropping his soccer ball mid-juggle. He looks past the backyard fence, seeing smoke billowing near the border. Mama! Hugo and Rosa jog towards the crash site, when over the rocky ledge stumbles Rick, head bleeding. In his arms, Sue, non-responsive, blood everywhere. Rick falters, seeing them. Please, you need to help us. Sue! Hugh, you know my daughter? He loses consciousness, keeling over just in time for Rosa to catch him. Sue, unconscious in her hospital bed, bruised and scraped, but thankfully alive. Rick is slumped in the bedside chair, partially asleep. One dim eye kept on his daughter. The door opens as Hugo peeks in. Emergency sirens pass on the street, startling Rick awake. He looks around, spotting Hugo. She's asleep still. Hugo retreats, closing the door. A Coke lands in the vending machine slot. Rosa fishes it out and brings the soda to Rick, who's pacing the hospital hallway. Thank you. For... everything. I didn't know you had one of these. A hospital? Yeah. Stupid me. I'm sorry. Juan and I didn't know what they were doing. No. I'm sorry. For everything. Rosa rests her hand on his back. He clears his throat. She... I... I caused us to crash. Rosa gazes through the room window. Hugo leans on Sue's bed, watching her sleep. Rosa turns to Rick, burying herself. We lost Christian, Hugo's brother, two years ago. We blamed ourselves for his leaving. He wanted more than we could give him. Christian died crossing to America. Rick, you can't blame yourself for not knowing. I'm so sorry for your loss. I know it's... Uh, well, if there's anything I can do. Rosa grows distant, brought back to the worst day of her life. Rick's right there with her. Suddenly, they're pulled back to reality by... Mama, she's awake. I'll get someone. Rick rushes into the room. Sand. Water washing over feet. Splashing through the wave, followed by another pair, Sue and Hugo dash into the ocean, diving into oncoming waves. On the shore, Rosa and Juan sip drinks while tending to the barbecue. 
Suddenly their attention is called upwards to Rick, flying overhead with the jetpack, coming in for a soft landing at their camp, swinging a bag of hot dog buns. Got him. Juan excitedly takes the jetpack from Rick. Hi, be careful. You're a madman up there. As Juan takes off into the air, Rick turns to their kids, splashing in the ocean. He breathes deep to savor this moment. Cricket, Hugo, lunch is ready. The end. We at Under the Table know that the best thing about a story is its ability to show you what is possible through a condensed fantasy. While Rick can't completely shift his ways through a single apology, he did make the first step to change by admitting he was wrong, which is often the hardest step to make. We wanted to give you a happy ending. Thank you for joining us under the table. Come back next month for an all new story. I'll see you next time. Okay, radio voice off before I get to the credits. If you or someone you know is involved in a hate group or is drawn to white supremacy, please consider reaching out to organizations such as Life After Hate, which help people transition out of those environments. This isn't sponsored content. They're just really cool. Okay, credits for real. Today's episode, Soar, was written by Willem Osland and directed, produced, and edited by Greta McKenna Gibson. Under the Table is brought to you by Oboy oh Productions, executive producer Max Reimer, and patrons like you. If you like our show, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Greta's Table. Today's episode features the voices of Aviva Jacob Cohen as Sue, Luciano LaRue as Hugo, Nemo Cartwright as Rick, Aria DeMarie as Rosa, and hosted by Greta McKenna Gibson. Thank you so much to the crew at Oh Boy Productions for making this episode possible. Questions? Comments? Strong opinions about sand? It gets everywhere. Send us an email at underthetableapodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>